Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. Well, today we're coming to you right here from New York City. And I have the privilege of having an interview today with two wonderful young people. I think I can still call them young. They're not teenagers, but wonderful young people who are engaged in ministry here in New York City, church planting. Bernard Howard and his wife, Betsy Howard, welcome to the Beeson Podcast. It's very good to be here. Thank you. Now, we know Betsy quite well because she was actually the director of the Beeson Podcast for some time. That's before they were married. They've been married for two years. And they're doing wonderful work for the Lord here in this great city. And I want to begin with you, Bernard. Maybe just tell us a little bit about your own coming to faith in in Jesus Christ, your background, and uh, how that relates to who you are in Christ today. Well, I come from a Jewish background, liberal Jewish. It's said that where you have uh, three Jewish people, you have four opinions. (laughs) And uh, one of those uh, would be liberal Judaism, which is a I suppose you could call it a, a relaxed or easygoing approach to the law. So we ate bacon at the weekends, oh. for example. That would be one example. We did go to synagogue a few times a year. And probably the most meaningful thing that I did from the Jewish perspective growing up was uh, have a bar mitzvah when I was 13 years old. And that involved... Uh, reciting a lot of uh, Hebrew uh, passage from the Torah. Now, I I felt at that age, 13, 14, 15, that I hadn't received the big answers to life's questions Mm. through Judaism. I felt I was still left with those big questions. Why are we here? Uh, What's the point of life, especially in view of death? I really thought about death quite a lot, and it seemed to me that after death, I would be forgotten, and everything that I'd ever done would also be forgotten. Mm-hmm. And that seemed to rob life of its purpose. If, if everything that you're doing is going to be totally forgotten, then why put effort and blood, sweat, and tears into, into doing it? And that really troubled me. And um, when I later read the book of Ecclesiastes, I remember thinking, that's that's it. He's, mm. he, he's got it. All his um, vanity. So, yeah. yeah. I, I had seen that as a, as a, a young teenager. So I was, I was looking for answers, and I went along at my high school to a Christian group to hear what they had to say. And the speaker who, who came in to give the talk must have been 15, 20-minute long talk. Very clear explanation of John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. No need for verse 16, the famous verse. So we had 40 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And the speaker explained um, what the reference to Moses and the snake in the desert was all about and said that uh, just as the Israelites were saved from the problem of the venomous snakes, Mm -hmm. so we would be saved from the problem of our sin if we looked to Jesus on the cross. So rather than looking to the bronze snake on the pole like the Israelites, we, would, we needed to look to Jesus on the cross to be saved from our sin. And he explained what sin was. And 
I was at an all-boys boarding school, so the explanation of sin, that made a lot of sense to me. I mean, when you are at an all-boys boarding school, you, you know that there is sin, that there is bad, evil behavior. So I found the whole talk extremely persuasive. There was a prayer at the end, which I prayed. I was still a bit unsure. I went to the speaker and said, this sounds great, but I guess it's not for me because I'm Jewish. Unfortunately, he had an excellent answer. He said, of course it's for you. He said, Jesus was Jewish himself. If you follow him, you're following your own Messiah. And uh, he told me about a friend of his who was Jewish and had begun following Jesus and who said that uh, he was now following his own Messiah and was doing the most Jewish thing that it was possible to do, follow Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. And so that was very helpful to have that reassurance because I, yeah. I didn't I didn't want to stop being Jewish if I possibly could. Yeah. And so to hear that I could believe in, in this Jesus and have eternal life, as those verses from, from John offered, uh, was wonderful news. And I think from that night on, I was, I was a follower of Jesus. What a great uh, account of how you came to faith in, in Jesus Christ and how God used that particular text in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, uh, to bring you to that moment of commitment. Now... We don't have a lot of time for you to tell the whole story of how you got from that moment of commitment as a young Jewish man, now a believer in Jesus, to planting a church here in Manhattan, an Anglican church. But why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the story of the Church of the Good Shepherd? That's the title, the name of your Good, church. Good Shepherd Anglican Church. Good Shepherd Anglican Church, which is on the Upper West Side of New York City, where you and Betsy live, and both of you are engaged in this ministry. So... Tell us about this church. Well, it, it does uh, relate to my background because the big attraction of New York to me was its Jewishness. It's a remarkably Jewish city, and uh, the Upper West Side is particularly Jewish. It's really uh, one-third of the residents ah. are Jewish, which for Jewish population is, is, is vast. I mean, the number of Jewish people worldwide is, is very, very small, and across the United States as a whole, it's just 2%. So to have 32% in a very significant residential part of New York, the Upper West Side, is uh, remarkable and unlike any other big city in the English-speaking world. So I was very drawn to it. I just thought, if I can do ministry here, I'll be among Jewish people and there'll be opportunities along the way to speak to them about Jesus. Mm -hmm. I have friends in Britain where I'd been trained in what you might call regular Church of England ministry, evangelical ministry on that side of the Church of England. And they found it hard to understand why I would want to come to America because from the British point of view, America is, is, is the land of Christian plenty, mm -hmm. whereas Britain is very spiritually barren. So to go from a spiritually barren nation to a to the land of Christian plenty was hard for them to understand. And so I had to explain, well, it's, it's the Jewishness of New York in particular that is the great appeal for me. Yeah. And so out of this vision has come the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd. And you're the rector. Uh, it, yes. uh, we should say um, this is a very new experiment in church planting. You, uh, when we're recording this, are three months old as a church, right? Yes, we started in March 2017. Yeah. So, how's it going? 
Well, we are thrilled so far. The two big unknowns for us were, would we have enough people for it to be viable? We, like most church plants, we began by gathering people in our, in our living room, in our apartment. But in Manhattan, you don't get very big living rooms. So that limits the number of people you can gather before you actually start meeting as a church. And we had maxed out in our living room at about 12 to 15 people, which uh, in any other part of the country, you would say, hold on, you need more people if you're going to start a church than, than 12 to 15 people. But in Manhattan, that was the limit of our living room. So trusting God, we decided to give it a go and, and see how it turned out. And we have found that we, we have visitors every week. And we've also added a few people to that core group. And so now we're in the sort of 20 to 30 amount of people coming along each week, which is, which is great. The other big unknown is whether you'll have enough money to survive long term. We raised enough seed money to see us through uh, 2017, but we will need to add monthly givers um, if we're to get through 2018. So that unknown, I feel like the, the people unknown, I feel much more settled and comfortable about that. Um, it's great to have between 20 and 30 people coming. The financial unknown is still there as a bit of a kind of monkey on my shoulder. Uh, it's just, we just don't know whether the church will still be in existence in a sure. year's time because so of the money angle. It's really driving us to a lot of prayer. You know, it's yeah. while it would be great to have all those things resolved and settled, I think God is probably using it to let us know that if this church survives long term, it won't be because we had everything that we needed. It will be because he provided what we didn't have, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of funds and in terms of continuing to send people. Because, of course, the... The eventual goal is that the congregation would grow large enough that it could be financially self-sustaining. We're just not yet to that point. Now, Betsy, where are you all meeting as a church now? We meet in a little theater. It's called The Triad. It's an off-Broadway theater on 72nd Street. It's small, and we rent it on Sunday mornings only, and we have a coffee time afterwards. So it's been the perfect meeting place for us, and it's easy to find. It's by an express stop, which in Manhattan is something that people love because it means you can get there quickly. So so that's where we're meeting. Now, this church is Anglican, but it's also evangelical. Could you say a word, Bernard, about both of those words, Anglican and evangelical? What does that mean? It means different things, and the word Anglican means different things in different parts of the world often. It all comes out of the Church of England. Uh, that's where the, the Anglican... Uh, name comes from from England and in America the form in which the service usually takes seems to generally be what you might call high church. Uh, you go into a typical Anglican church in America whether um, Episcopalian or Anglican and the difference between the two is a whole other conversation but they both spring from the Church of England and in either Episcopalian or Anglican, you'll find, generally speaking, the uh, people leading the service wearing robes. There'll be communion every week, and that will be, the, in some ways, the high point of the service. And so you could describe that as high church. The more evangelical Bible-believing Anglican churches in England and in Australia and Singapore and other parts of the world where Anglicanism has spread to, the more evangelical uh 
meetings, Anglican meetings in those countries would be low church. And so you would not have service leaders wearing robes. You would have Holy Communion once a month. And the services would be much more similar to a Presbyterian service here or, or even a Baptist service. And so that was my training back in Britain. And so I faced the, the choice when church planting an Anglican church here in America, well, do I do it the usual American way and start wearing robes and having communion every week? Or do I stick with my ministry upbringing and DNA and do Anglicanism in that low church way? I decided to, to go for the low church option, partly because it was what I was so familiar with, it would have just felt alien and strange to have done anything else. Um, but also for more considered reasons, ministry reasons. I, I think it is easier for someone who's very unfamiliar with Christianity to come in off the street and find people wearing you know, regular clothes who are speaking to mm. them. It, that, it, it may seem like a small thing, but I think it's easier to relate to someone who is in regular dress mm -hmm. than to someone wearing very unfamiliar uniform, religious uniform. So the, the choices that we've made about what you might call the, 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 uh, the ministry design uh, are, are deliberate ones with the context in mind. Let me ask you two related questions. Uh, one, uh, preaching. You're the rector of this congregation and you preach regularly as a part of your role. And then music, worship. So why don't you tell us about preaching and then Betsy chime in on music, if you will. Well, the pattern that we follow at Good Shepherd Anglican Church is uh, to go through books of the Bible with uh, expositions. We try to go through at a fairly good pace. Um, the, the idea is to track with the segments within John. So you have the prologue, those first glorious first 18 verses. Well, that's a, that's a segment in its own right, so why not preach it? as that segment um, going through those 18 verses. And similarly, as you read through John, you realize there are, there are blocks of teaching material. And so I think it makes sense to, to um, track with that in preaching rather than um, going at a much slower place, mm. pace where you miss out on the, the messages that John has through those blocks of material, those segments. Yeah, excellent. So yeah, so that's the, the, the approach. We're not doing anything revolutionary in terms of music. We, um, because we're small, we don't have a lot of musicians in our congregation. We have just a piano player every week and then a, a song leader. And we have a mix of hymns and I would almost say contemporary hymns. They're, you could say they're praise courses, but we tend to go for the, the wordier, more meaty contemporary songs. And one thing that you deal with when you have a church plant, especially a plant in New York where many people won't have attended church before is they don't know all of the songs that you sing. So we're trying to pick the songs that we want to sing often and help our people learn those. So we're repeating things fairly often. We have a, a smaller rotation of songs because we really want the congregation to sing and to worship and not view it as, oh, there's a person up front singing and I'm going to listen to them. We, we really want it to be a congregational worship. Now, here's another question both of you can answer. If you were going to give advice to a young couple who felt led to plant a church, as you, in fact, are doing right now here in New York, uh, especially in an urban setting, uh, 
what would you tell them? What warnings would you give them? What encouragements might you share? Because a lot of um, you know our students at Beeson Divinity School and other theological schools are really interested in church planting today. It seems to be a movement that's arisen uh, to bring into into being new congregations of believers. I would say the most helpful thing that I've held on to through the process would be Psalm 23 and its message that the Lord will be our good shepherd and provide for us. That doesn't mean that the church is going to be a success. It does mean that if it's not, he will still provide for us and still lead us and guide us. And as the psalm goes on to say, will follow us with goodness and love all the days of our life. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I've, I've kept trying to preach that to myself, that whether the church um, grows and is sustained in the long term, or whether we have to shut our doors, and that would be very sad, but Jesus will still be our good shepherd and will still guide us and provide for us. Mm. And we've really see, seen the need for prayer, lots of prayer, uh, as we feel so unable to make it happen in our own strength. There's many good training programs out there. There's lots of books you can read. There's there's different things you can do, but I think prayer is the most important thing. I've actually at, at some point stopped reading books about church planting because it was fostering me the desire to get it right. If I just had enough information, we would get it right. Whereas I think... Um, what God is calling us to do is to listen to him and obey him and take the next step of faithfulness and to, to put the onus on him to have this succeed if, if he wants it to succeed and hopefully give him the glory for it. Now that doesn't mean we sit back and don't do anything mm -hmm. at all, but I just, I've had to continually uh, renew my mind to realize this is not up to us to get everything right. We're going to make mistakes but we need to pray God's blessings on this, that in spite of our mistakes, in spite of all the unknowns, that he will have us be found faithful and make us adequate to the task. So in the midst of all of your labor and work and hard effort that you put into this, you are learning to relax into grace. Definitely, and yes. And, and just uh, resting and not knowing the future. And recognizing that we are not supposed to, people who feel like they know the future, that they, right now we don't know what the next year or two will look like for us. Many people think they know what the next year or two will look like, but really none of us know. Yeah. That's in the hands of God, yes. of course. One more question about the church planning. It seems to me that if you're coming into a situation like the two of you are doing here, one of the, one of the struggles might be, who are my friends? Where do I turn to for friendship, for counsel, for fellowship? Uh, I, I can imagine uh, you could be isolated, even in a city with so many millions and millions of people, such as New York City, that you, you could feel alone. So how does that work for you? Where, where, do, you, where do you find your friends, your counselors, uh, people to pray with, to stand by you? Well, one advantage that we have that missionaries or church planters 100 years ago or even 50, 20 years ago wouldn't have had is the Internet has allowed us to keep in such good touch with people back home, um, people from 
Beeson, people from Birmingham, people from England where Bernard's from. So I still talk regularly to friends. We both, both Bernard and I have a small group of people who are committed to praying for us that we send out weekly mm-hmm. request, confidential requests to, to have that support. But in addition, we have gotten to know people in New York. You know, uh, there are more Christians here than there were a few decades ago. So, um, we've, before our church started, we got to be friends with people from other churches and would meet regularly for prayer and, and things like that. So, um, at we, there have been times that we felt very alone, but that hasn't been the rule. We, God has brought us people to support us and to pray with us. And now that our church is off the ground, we're closely, or we're quickly having close bonds form with the people that we meet every week on Sunday for worship and who come to our home for Bible study. It's, it's wonderful to see that Christian community starting to build. Well, as I said, we're coming to you from New York City, and tomorrow is Sunday. This is a Saturday. And so I'm going to visit your church, and I'm looking forward to it very much. We're looking forward to having you with us. Now, we just have a few more minutes, but Betsy, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your work with a new venture, really. Uh, the Gospel Coalition's been around for, what, 10 or 12 years? Yes. Something like that. But there's a brand new effort to kind of pass on the faith intact to the rising generation through a catechism that you've been involved in helping to edit and put together. Tell us a little bit, what is the New City Catechism that the Gospel Coalition has produced? Well, the New City Catechism originally came out of Redeemer Church here in New York. Tim Keller and a woman named Sam Seamus put it together to use internally in their church because they realized there's a lot of historic catechisms like the Heidelberg Catechism, the Westminster, um, but they're much longer and were a little bit hard for people to learn. So they combined different elements and different questions from those catechisms and condensed it down to 52 questions and answers. And that is what the New City Catechism is. It's not original thinking. It's, it's taken from historic Reformation catechisms, but it's shorter so that if you learn one question and answer in a week, you can learn the whole thing in a year. So the Gospel Coalition recognized there was a lot of potential for this, that other churches, other families around the country and around the world would like to use this. So Redeemer basically gave it to the Gospel Coalition to make more widespread. And in partnership with Crossway, we've now published two books and are in the process of developing a children's curriculum that could be used in Sunday school, homeschool, Christian school, to help learn this catechism. Wonderful. And we we also have a website and an app. That so so really we're trying to make it uh, in as many forms as possible so that people can choose what works best for them. Now I remember when I was a lad in Sunday school many years ago. Bible memorization was a big deal, and we were expected and encouraged to memorize verses of the Bible. And, you know, I, I still remember some of those verses all these many years. They've stuck with me. What about memorization as a for, form of catechizing? Well, and this is certainly not meant to replace Bible memorization at all. That uh, would be supportive of and um, part and parcel with that. So memorization, we... We like to use the metaphor of you have to put logs in a fire, in a fireplace to build, to prepare for a fire, and then you you light the flame. So our idea, if you're teaching a catechism to children, or if you're teaching Bible memory to children, God may not have yet brought them to faith, 
but you are laying the fire in a sense. You're putting logs in that fireplace. You're giving them scripture. You're giving them Christian doctrine so that hopefully the Holy Spirit will kindle that fire someday. So you're laying the groundwork for them to have an understanding of what the Christian faith is. And memorization, you know, there, there are verses, there are songs, there are hymns that I memorized as a small girl that come into my mind at some of the most difficult moments of life. Things mm -hmm. that you memorize really stay with you. They shape your thinking. You know, the catechism does things like define sin. Well, having a definition of sin that has been carefully crafted can be a really useful thing for you for the rest of your life, um, both in conversations with non-Christians, in discipleship, just in your own wrestling. Knowing what sin is is a really helpful thing. So the catechism gives children and adults these sort of logs in the fireplace that then the Holy Spirit can use to kindle faith. Wonderful. Now, Betsy, you wrote a book a few years ago about waiting. And I see a connection between that book and your church plant now because you've already indicated you don't know the future. This is in the hands of God. And so you're in a kind of waiting zone right now, aren't you? I mean, your book dealt with waiting for marriage, waiting for a new job. I don't remember all of the mm -hmm. issues, but that this is a, there's a spirituality of waiting. And say a little bit about that in terms of what you're doing now Are you as you wait on God and the work of Good Shepherd Anglican Church. It's been a huge feature of our church planting. It was something that we decided, we decided to church plant. We'd been thinking about it for many months. We decided in around March 2016. And so that's exactly a year before our first service. That's a whole year of, of preparing for something without knowing if it's really going to work out long term. And still, as I was saying earlier, we don't know if it's going to work out long term. So it causes trust in God to grow because you're doing things that you believe are the right things to do, the things that he wants you to be doing without knowing for sure whether they are going to work out. And that's, that's hard, but healthy. It's healthy to be in that child-father relationship where, where you are looking to your father, our God, for his provision day by day without having the results yet. Yeah. I've, I've tried to get myself out of the mindset of thinking, oh, when we're out of this phase, things will be easier, you know, like, because we will always be waiting on something and there will always be something that we have to depend on the Lord for. So right now it's, it's having our future be a little bit uncertain and, and wanting God to provide financially and provide people for this church. But, you know, we could grow really quickly and then we would need to provide to depend on God for very different things. All of a sudden, it, we would have too many people to handle. Or There's all different kinds of ways it could go, but wherever we are, we're going to need to be walking in dependence on the Lord. So we're trying to help each other learn that. You know, one of my uh, least favorite theologians in the history of the church was Friedrich Schleimacher. Mm -hmm. uh, but he did say one thing that was really good. And when, when he defined religion as a feeling of absolute dependence, and says, but that is really close to the gospel, that we are dependent creatures. And as Christians, as believers, as pastors and leaders, we are dependent upon God. You've been saying that in this interview. Now, do you have a church website? How could anybody find out about you if yes. they're interested? Uh, our website is www.goodshepnyc.org. So goodshepnyc.org. 
And you know, this Beeson podcast goes out to really hundreds, thousands of people that listen to this all around the world. And some of them, I dare say, might occasionally come to New York City. We would love to have any anyone visit our church or send people, if you have children or grandchildren moving into the city, uh, friends, send them our way. Wonderful. Well, my guests today on the Beeson podcast have been Bernard and Betsy Howard. They're involved in an exciting, brand new Still fragile and young, but full of all kinds of hope, because it's the hope of the gospel that you're about. It's called the Good Shepherd Anglican Church. It's in the Upper West Side of New York City. Thank you so much for sharing your heart, your passion, your vision, and your need for God's grace and mercy in this great work you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. We enjoyed it. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.